It's good to be here again this evening. Appreciate everyone who is in attendance. As Junie mentioned in his prayer, we are going to be looking at the seven churches in Asia. So if you'd like to be turning over to Revelation, we're actually going to start in the first chapter. So if you would like to start there in Revelation chapter 1, we'll be there in just a moment. From the outset, I'd like to tell you that these series of lessons will be more like a, um, I guess you'd say a lecture. Um, Though I, I do not consider myself to be professorial, uh, but just the, the form that they'll take on is going to be a little bit more of a lecture, lecture kind of a class kind of um, presentation with some more information presented to you. And then at the end, we'll make application. Um, what, is, what does this message mean to us today? Um, obviously, the Holy Spirit has, has felt it uh, necessary to preserve these words for us, and certainly we can gain a lot. Um, from looking at this, but I want us to spend some time looking at each church, looking at some of the historical background uh, a little bit, um, and talking about these messages to these seven churches in Asia. So with that, we will begin here. Uh, we'll look at the first church this evening, that, that being the church in Ephesus. So I want to start off with um, some thoughts about uh, John's vision here. So if you're in chapter 1, Let's read, starting in verse 9. Let's read verses 9 through 11. It says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and, and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard, heard a, uh, behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet, saying, Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So some things we can look at as we um, start here. First of all, why was John on Patmos? If you look at there, the second part of verse 9, he says, I, I was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He was in exile because of the word, because of the things that were being taught. He was uh, under persecution. And so at this point, he's in exile on the island of Patmos. So we see why he is there. And he is there because he is suffering. He's suffering for the gospel. Notice a few things here. When our Lord first speaks here in verse 11, I want you to notice these three, three things. He says to write in, in a book what you see and send it to the churches. The words there underlined, I, I just want to pay special attention to. We think often of these individual letters going to these seven churches. I tend to think it's more of there's individual letters that are written in, in a book. And that book is sent around to the seven churches. Now, of course, copies will be made and distributed amongst people. But if we look at right here what it says, it says, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. Also, it's important that it's said there what you see. So much of the book of Revelation is about symbols. It's about images. And so John is instructed to write what you see. And that actually is more important as you go later on 
when you start to see John's visions of the throne room and these scenes in heaven. Um, it takes on a little bit more meaning, but know from the outset that there's a lot of symbology involved in the book of Revelation. So just keep that in the back of your mind as we go through. Send it to the seven churches. Notice John's description of the Lord. Beginning in verse 12, let's read here. It says, And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands, like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle, and his, hair, and his head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters, and in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Notice how many times you hear the word like. It was like this. It was like that. John is seeing a vision here, and he's trying to describe what he is seeing. Very important for us to remember. But in this description, um, we see some interesting things. He's standing in the middle of, golden, of the golden lampstands. He has this, this um, he's clothed in a robe reaching to his feet. His breast, breast is girded with a golden girdle. Head like white wool. Eyes like flame of fire. Isn't this an impressive image that we see of him describing our Lord? And then in verse 16, in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was shining like, like the sun in its strength. What a magnificent vision this is, to see our Lord this way. But these descriptions are important. Also notice Jesus' description of himself. We keep reading in verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. We won't go too far into all of that meaning right now. We will do that as we go through these series of lessons. But just notice the description that Jesus has for himself, especially with the seven stars in his right hand. He talks about the seven lampstands. The description that John gives and the description that Jesus gives of himself, these, um, the message to each one of the seven churches will contain part of that description that he gives for himself. When he introduces himself, he talks about this, a, a portion of this description that has been said. So we'll look at that as we go forward, but just keep that in mind. There's a reason for these descriptions being in here. So the seven churches that are in Asia. If you look here at a map, Hope you can see that. It's a little faint. Um, this is Ephesus. This is the um, church we are talking about tonight. I'm sorry, David, I'm blocking you. 
Uh, here is Patmos. I don't know if you can see that or not right there, but this is the island from which John has this vision. So we have Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Remember I said that, he, that Jesus said to write in a book and send it to the seven churches. From a strictly geographical standpoint, doesn't it make sense that this is how it would go? From Patmos to Ephesus to Smyrna to Pergamum to Thyatira to Sardis to Philadelphia to Laodicea. Geographically, it makes sense that that would be the route that it would go. Wouldn't go from one to the other or crisscross or the other. This, this way or that way, but rather in a, in a very logical geographical pattern. So we see some logic in that. And we also understand when it says, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. So this is part of uh, modern day Turkey now. This was in the time when it was written, considered called Asia. That's why this is referred to as the seven churches in Asia. Again, this is modern day Turkey where this is now. So why these seven churches? Why is it that the writing here are to, are these, are to these seven churches? There were many other churches at this time. We know that from scripture. So why only these seven? Well, there's some reasons that can be deduced from this. First of all, it's important for us to understand that numbers are important in scripture. Nowhere more noticeable than here in Revelation. Revelation is full of numbers. We're going to talk about those a little bit more in later lessons. But the number seven is considered the perfect number or the complete number. It's used some 54 times in Revelation alone, such as the seven lampstands, which we just saw, or the seven stars, which we just read about also. Later on, there'll be seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls of wrath. Seven is the perfect number. It's a complete number. These numbers refer to God taking some kind of action and that action being complete or perfect. So when we look at the seven churches, these seven churches represent any and all um, local congregations at any time in history. And any problems that they might have are associated with this. The problems that we will read about in these seven churches, pretty much any problems that we have today can be linked back and related to these problems that Jesus is talking about among these seven churches. So if we, talk, if we think about that seven being a complete number, then it makes sense that these seven churches represent a complete number. It doesn't we don't see it writing to all the churches here, but we see a representation of all the churches. Each message that is going to go to these churches is going to follow the same pattern. There's a pattern for the writing of these, each of these churches. So if we look at that, we can see that the first thing that will be will be a salutation. The next thing that will be will be Jesus' self-designation. And that's why I pointed out in the beginning about these descriptions about Jesus, the, what John saw and how Jesus described himself. So each one of these churches, there'll be some kind of self-designation, some kind of self-description that our Lord will give. The next thing will be um, the commendation of good. In six out of the seven churches, there will be a commendation of good. There's only one church where there's no commendation of good. 
The next thing will be the condemnation of evil. And five out of the seven churches, he'll have something to say about that. So he'll say something good about it and then say something bad in most cases. The next thing will be the counsel. What to do. Here's your warning and exhortation. Here's what you need to do because of what I have against you. The next thing will be the promise of reward for overcoming. If you do these things, if you do what I'm telling you to do, there is a reward for that. And that's the next thing. And then the last thing is the invitation to hear the message given. He who has an ear, let him hear. That will be at the end of each one of these lessons. These last two things will switch places a little bit, but they have to, both of them will be at the end of each one of these messages. This is a number seven. Don't read anything into that. <laughs> this is man come up, coming up with this outline. Um, so don't read anything more than that into that. Let's talk a little bit about the ancient city of Ephesus. <clears throat> The city was some 2,000 years old when John wrote the letter here. So it had been around for a long time. And just as, as a side note here, um, I believe that the writing of Revelation occurs sometime around 96 AD. There are others who believe that there was an earlier date. I tend to hold that it was the later date. Um, and this would be, be during the reign of Domitian. Um, the Roman leader Domitian. We won't talk about that a whole lot, but just um, know where I come from, that I hold to the later date of this writing. <clears throat> Ephesus was the capital of Asia. It was the capital city. It was a harbor city. We'll look at that in just a moment, a little bit more detail. It was a major crossroads. We talked about the roads, um, how they would travel about. This was a major crossroads. So there was a lot of activity. There was a lot of commerce. There was a lot of people coming in and out. It was a bustling city during this time. It was famous for the Temple of Diana or Artemis. Uh, the Temple of Artemis uh, was the largest building in the ancient world. Uh, it was some 450 feet long, 220 feet wide, 60 feet tall. Some 127 pillars. This was a large building. Um, that's why it was considered to be one of the, the seven wonders of the ancient world here. The Temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Here is a um, picture of what, the, uh, of what it might have looked like. This is actually a, um, a model and with a little bit of trick photography here, the way this is done. This is what the temple might have looked like. Quite a big, quite a... Um, impressive structure. Um, <clears throat> a couple of other th scenes here from Ephesus. Um, this is kind of a map of the city. This would be where the Temple of Artemis was, the Temple of Diana up here. There's also a stadium and also an um, amphitheater. Uh, lots of things um, within the city this map doesn't really show. Um, but it does so show some major thoroughfares coming through. And this is one of those thoroughfares right here. This, is, this actually is what it looks like today. Um, obviously in ruin, but you can still see the, the wide street. Um, I think this is what they consider to be Harbor Street. And here's also a 
a picture of modern day, what it looks like as well. You can't see this, but there's a bird sitting right on top of that column right there. Just making a nest up there. I thought that was interesting. I know you can't see it. But, um, so the city's in ruin, uh, but there are some things that, that still um, they piece together, and historians and archaeologists have put together about the city. Um, this is the amphitheater uh, as it stands today, and there is um, Harbor Street, which goes, and I know you can't see this, um, it would have gone out here into the harbor. The harbor is actually silted over now, um, so it's no longer a harbor city, but this is what the main thoroughfare would have been into the city there, and this is the amphitheater. <clears throat> Typical of Roman cities to have these kinds of things amphitheaters and stadiums and temples, um, those are typical of, of Roman cities. <coughs> I know you can't see this. Um, this is just an artist's rendition, we're going to talk about this a little bit more, of the, the Apostle Paul um, speaking in the city of Ephesus. We're going to talk about this a little bit more. And this was a little book burning scene going on down here. So we'll um, mention that here in just a moment. Um, <coughs> What else about the church in Ephesus? From scripture, uh, we understand that it was started by Paul himself. Look over in Acts chapter 19. <clears throat> Acts chapter 19 gives us a lot of detail about Paul in Ephesus. Um, it says there in verse 1, it came about while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper country came to Ephesus and found some disciples and he said to them did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed and they said no um, no we have not even heard where there is a Holy Spirit and he said in what were you baptized and they said into John's baptism um, and Paul said John baptized with the baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in him who was coming after that is Jesus and when they heard this they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and when Paul had laid his hands upon them the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying, and there were about 12 men. So we see these 12 men, um, these disciples of John, Paul baptized here. It goes on here to, to say that he will be there over two years, um, teaching in the school of Tyrannus there in verse 9. In verse 10 it says, And this took place over two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of God uh, of, of, of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. That's kind of where that scene from... Paul there speaking comes from uh, him staying there for two years and speaking and teaching there in the school of, uh, of Tyrannus. It says daily he was there. Um, he also wrote 1 Corinthians during his time here. Um, he was caught up in a two-hour riot. If you look over in verse 23, and this is a nice tie into what we were just talking about, about the temple of Diana, or the temple of Artemis. Verse 23, And about that time there arose no, no small disturbance concerning the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines to, of, of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. And you see in here, not only in Ephesus, but also in all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying the gods made with hands are no gods at all. Verse 27. And not only this, 
Uh, and not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship should even be dethroned from her magnificence. Here are men here in Ephesus that make a living by crafting these idols to Artemis. And Paul is coming in and teaching that, that's, that these aren't any gods at all. So these men are losing business. And it goes on. There's a riot within the city that lasts some two hours. Uh, so we see a lot takes place here in Ephesus. A lot of things going on. But the church had a problem. And we read about that problem in, in Revelation chapter 2. So let's go back to Revelation. <clears throat> so the church here having been established by Paul, having gone on for some time now, if we put the writing of this around 96 A.D., there's a problem that has come to Ephesus, and our Lord addresses it. So let's read Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance, and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, I talked about a pattern that each one of these letters follows. So we see it right here in the beginning. There's a salutation. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write. We're going to talk a little bit more about these angels of the churches in a later lesson as well. I wanted to spread some of these things out over the lessons. So we'll come back to that. But each one of these letters starts in this way. To the angel of the church of. There's the salutation. We have Jesus' self-designation. Remember we looked at the description that John wrote that he saw. And how Jesus described himself. Here, Jesus describes himself as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So that part of the description is pulled out here and given to these at Ephesus to describe and to designate Jesus himself. The commendation of good. Remember, Jesus says, I know these things about you. That you are workers, that you are patient, that you could not hear evil people. You tested false doctors and hated evil deeds. There was a lot of good things going on in the church of Ephesus. They were, what appears from what was written here, they were refuting false doctrine. And so Jesus commends them for doing that. The next part of each letter is 
the condemnation of evil. So what was it that this church was lacking? We know that they had lost their first love. They had drifted from those first things that they learned. What is the counsel? What does Jesus warn them or exhort them to do? He says to remember. Remember. And to repent and to do the first works. We can understand that. We can understand how it is easy to drift and to forget what it is that we actually are doing, who we are serving. And these apparently at Ephesus had done that. The next part is the promise of reward for overcoming. What does Jesus tell these Ephesians? He says, eat from the, you will eat from the tree of life in the midst of the paradise of garden. If you overcome, if you do these things, this is your reward. And then the last thing is the invitation to hear the message given. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear. We'll see that at the end of each one of these messages to the churches. So we see there are things going on in Ephesus that were, well, that were good. They were doing well. But there was something that they lacked. And that was that they left their first love. So what's the message to us? What do we pull out of this and make application to ourselves? Let's think about in this way. Jesus described himself as the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. John saw that in his vision. And then Jesus describes himself as that. And Jesus goes on to say that the lampstands are the churches. He is in the midst of them as John sees him. And Jesus goes on to tell them that the, the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. So we've made the point that the seven is that perfect number, that complete number. And in looking at these messages, we can extrapolate from that that these messages apply to us. It's in that completeness. that The message to these churches applies to us as well. So what does that mean? It means that Jesus is aware of the goings-on of this congregation. Do you ever think about it in that way? John saw him standing amongst the, the lampstands. He is involved in the works of the church. He knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in this congregation. And we know that he does. Our study in the book of Revelation, uh, in the book of Hebrews... We know about that high priest that we have now who stands in heaven, ministering for us, making intercessions for us. He knows us, and he knows each and every congregation. He is the head of the body of the church. So if we think about it in those terms. Would he be pleased with what he's seeing going on in this congregation? He knows if we are persevering against false doctrine or teachers, this message to the Ephesians, the good part was, you're standing up to these false teachings and these false teachers. Are we doing the same? He knows. He knows what we're doing. And he also knew, knows if we were to lose our first love. 
if we were to drift away from the truth, if we were to drift away from those elementary principles that we've been taught, our Lord would know. So that message comes to us as well. And if we do, if we do drift away, if we lose that first love, what's the message to us then? It's the same as it was to the Ephesians. Repent. Go back to those first works. If you've lost your first love, then repent. What does repent mean? To turn from. To go in the other direction. And if we do, our reward is the same. The Ephesians here, it says, I will grant to you to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Our reward, if we do, if we repent, our reward will be in heaven also. What a wonderful message that is. This is the first of seven churches. Each one has its own unique set of circumstances. And our Lord will address each one. I hope that these series of lessons will be um, encouraging to you as we look at each one and understand the importance of having this recorded for us and learning more about God's Word. We offer an invitation at this time. If you have any need of the brethren here, you can let that be known by coming forward as together we stand and sing.